Hello everyone and welcome to Malaria, Poverty and Politics, a podcast where I invite various experts to discuss the issues of inequity in global health and in particular the inadequacy of malaria control strategies in Africa. My name is Silas Majambere and I am very grateful that you have chosen to join me on this journey. Wherever you are listening from, welcome. This is part two of my conversation with Yasin Jibo, founder and CEO of Speak Up Africa. If you haven't, I recommend that you first listen to part one to discover who Yasin is and her organization, Speak Up Africa. In this episode today, we zero in on the issue of localization and how donors can ensure they fund locally relevant programs. We end this episode on a positive note, discussing what keeps Yasin hopeful, happy, and focused. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome. One of the reasons I, I wanted to speak with you, particularly um, for the audience, is, is to know that, first of all, there are brilliant African, African-led organizations that are successful, first of all, and who are standing the ground uh, on values, uh, not bending down on money, uh, any money that comes from anywhere, but sticking to your strategy and being successful. And, and uh, the last point that you just mentioned is, is something that we're not very used to, that people can say no to money. Um, I will not ask you to say <laughs> who you said no to, but um, just to to realize that someone can say no, just based on values and, 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 and uh, your targets and what you're trying to achieve, it's really wonderful to, to see that it does happen and it doesn't prevent you from getting more funding. It doesn't prevent you for, from um, uh, from being successful as, as you have been. But just to, to maybe to end that point uh, on, on partnership, um, I'm, I'm trying to see, or, or maybe you can give us a, a tip um, and, and anyone else who's listening, what's been your, your um, selling point, basically? What's, what's, um, what are the partners looking for in you? What, what, what do you think you represent that make donors want to come to you uh, that that is particular to you or to to your organization so i think um you know the first point i would say is that we are a truly african organization um based in africa um you know with staff from the countries in which we work. So not even only in Senegal, but in Burkina Faso and Benin and Chad, you know, wherever we do have our programs, we are we are there or we have people there that we work with um, through our partner organizations that I mentioned earlier on. So we have a network of hundreds of C local civil society organizations that we work with uh, continuously in the work that we do. Um, we also have very strong relationships with governments um, in all of the countries we work, but also with 
you know, communities, like I said, through the CSOs, with media, with business leaders, um, and with, uh, you know, decision makers. Um, and that really allows us, you know, very quickly to be able to engage across issues, across countries. We have strategic partnerships with regional institutions like um, WAHO, the African Union. Um, and so, you know, we do have that particularity. I think the other particularity that we do have is that we are um, also connected to the global stage and the global landscape. So we are able to understand what some of the global trends are, and we're able to know what some of the priorities are in terms of policies, in terms of regulation, and we're able to make that connection from the local, national, regional, and global. And the fact that we are mostly a bilingual organization does also help in terms of being able to communicate with the global audience, but also at country level with the countries in which we work. Um, so that's, I think, you know, what I would say have been maybe some of the 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 areas that have been of interest, you know, with respect to Speak Up Africa and the partnerships we've had with various donors and partners. Um, the other thing is I think more and more people are realizing that locally led solutions are the most effective way <laughs> to ensure that the decisions being made truly reflect, you know, the people that all interventions, you know, in terms of global health are seeking to serve. So. Um, you know, we have been hearing over and over, you know, how important country ownership is, how important it is to strengthen local capacity, how important it is to shape, you know, national policies and um, build, you know, advocacy, civil society organization, be able to mobilize local resources. But at the same time, you know, those commitments have not always been implemented and so we've seen you know as you know we've been talking about how you know sometimes you know international organizations from the global north are the ones you know implementing these but more and more at least we're saying that there is a strong commitment from donors from partners to be able to break down those power imbalances that you were talking about and really ensure that they're you know that they're creating the systems and the spaces that shifts that planning, financing, and management to local actors. And I think partners like Speak Up Africa and others who are, you know, those local organizations that have that local expertise, the local knowledge, but also, you know, the organization and the platform to be able to, to, to implement that is becoming more and more um, appealing, I think, to a lot of donors um, looking to support, you know, local organizations. So I would say, um, at least from what we're seeing, um, you know, there's a lot of support and interest uh, from, you know, not only donors, but even strategic partners uh, that work in different, you know, in different regions to be able to engage with local partners and I think you know we're one of them but there's many others and so that's what we're also trying to you know ensure that we're showcasing those other partners and and organizations 
Yeah, uh, interesting. You you just touched a point that I wanted to move on. So this is a, a perfect segue into my next point. But before, so this is vocalization. But before we get to that, I, I just wanted to to put this here, and you you'll do with it whatever you want. But I think hearing you talking and how successful your organization has been, um, I think you should consider uh, training other organizations, not, not just the, I know you, you um, uh, propping up, I don't know whether that's a good, good term, but you, you training the organizations that work with you and, and uh, civil societies. But I'm thinking more about um, training institutions, like other, other institutions that are African that are trying to, to work in the space, global health space, um, but who are not, who have not been able to, to be as successful as your organization has been. Um, you don't have to, to elaborate on that, but I think that's one area you could think about. Um, the, the, the way you are structured, how your system has worked, um, why you have been successful. Um, because I, I think apart from the type of work you do, uh, advocacy, there is a culture a culture that you have for your your own organization, the, the way you build your systems, the way you train your staff, the way you approach the, the, the partners or funders that make what you do um, replicable or applicable to other other um, other sectors that are not necessarily advocacy. So um, I'm just asking you whether you could consider that um, when you have time or when you can, when you have staff who can do that. So it's a very good point. I think more and more, um, you know, this whole element around capacity strengthening um, is becoming increasingly important within Speak of Africa, um, because we do, we do get, you know, a lot of interest from partners. I mean, much more, as you were saying, you know, on the advocacy, but now we're getting some on leadership. And, you know, recently people have been saying, well, what about, you know, capacity strengthening on programming and looking at ways in which, but I think what you're saying is even yet another area. But I think for us, we are currently looking at, you know, how do we, um, you know, more systematically be able to provide this capacity strengthening beyond our network today, you know, we provide this type of support to the CSOs that we work with, we provide it to the national programs that we work with, and we provide it to the media that we work with. But certainly, I think, you know, it is absolutely an area that we are interested in exploring, because as I said, I think if we want to build strong African organizations, whether it's advocacy programs, research, and you know, whatever the area, I think there are some fundamentals that are important to understand. And certainly, if you're able to learn from people who have gone through the process before, it's always useful. And, you know, I think beyond ourselves, I know there's probably other organizations as well. So how do we set up potentially also a network of shared um, you know, shared experiences across some of these African organizations that are working, you know, across different regions, I think could be interesting as well. So definitely something um, I'm very interested in, in, in continuing to think about. And we are, 
we have already started and will continue to do so. Great. Okay, great. I, I didn't know you were going to, to take that, but I'm glad you did. So I take um, all the questions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me um talk a little bit or or, or uh, go into detail a little bit about localization. So this is this is becoming um fashionable in terms of donors, most donors saying they want to see local ownership and they they are sold to that and they they'd like to push that agenda. But recently I went to a meeting and I'm I'm not going to mention the, the funder because I, I think I think this particular funder is doing great stuff. Uh, so I don't want to to appear as if I'm, I'm demeaning them or, or not agreeing with them. But one of the representatives was in the meeting and 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 um this person said the the this organization, the, the, the donor, is planning to give away or, or partner locally um, or give the funds directly to local um, institutions in 2030, I believe, to reach some percentage. I think it was 25% or 50%. And then they were projecting something like 20, in 2050 to, to be able to, to have most of the funding go to local partners. So here I'm I'm probably being naive or being too um too impatient. Um, but I'm I, I questioned and I did question in that in that meeting why we need to wait until 2030 or 2050 for the localization to happen or, or for this particular donor to to give money directly to a local organization. You've benefited from uh, donor money that comes to you directly um, and you you are championing localization. The one issue that I've been hearing from donors is that they don't find uh, local local organizations that have capacity to absorb money or big amount of money. What's your position on that? Is this uh, is this real? Is this an excuse or is it both. So what what's your position? So good question. Again, I think very, 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 it's a very real question. Um, when we first started Speak Up Africa, we heard that for the two first years um, where, you know, we had donors interested in funding us, but at the time our budget was relatively small. Um, and we were not in a position to be able, at least from the donor's perspective at the time, and in retrospect, looking back, um, you know, we would not have been able potentially to absorb what that donor wanted to give as maybe one of the minimum amounts that they usually give. Because donors, you know, the transactional costs for a donor you know, to do a very small grant versus a very big grant is, you know, it's it's the same cost. So for them, they just don't necessarily always have the mechanisms to be able to give smaller grants and then allow an organization to grow and be able to absorb those bigger grants, which would be in essence what, you know, organizations that are starting or that haven't benefited from certain amounts of funding would need to have. So 
I do think, you know, the, the, the capacity, the absorption capacity is real. Um, you know, we at Speak of Africa at the time were very, again, had a, a great opportunity to be able to more than, you know, multiply by 10 or 15 our, 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 our annual revenue through one grant that we got from a donor that was not particularly you know, into processes and, but rather much more focused on the partner and implementing and the trust. And so they gave us quite a significant amount of money to implement a program. And all of a sudden we went from being a very small organization to being a not so small organization. I mean, of course not really big either, but already allowing us to position ourselves in a, in, a, in a way where we could absorb the minimum amounts that you know, were granted. And then parallel to that, um, we also had an opportunity to integrate a consortium. So I think that's also a way in which organizations that are starting you know, potentially could go in with others to be able to benefit from the expertise benefit, we got a lot of capacity from that consortium and one partner in particular. Um, and we were able to, and at the time, this was money that was um, public funding. Um, and so we had to really review all of our procedures, all of our institutional governance. And so between the grant we received from this other partner and then this you know grant that we were a sub grantee of but you know part of a larger consortium we were really able to not only increase you know our annual revenues but also in parallel be able to uh, put in place <laughs> the governance structure needed to be able to absorb funds so I think the the absorption of funds is not only are you able to absorb the funding you receive and spend it, but you also have, are your, is your institution strong enough to be able to absorb those funds? And I think sometimes that's where um, the challenge comes is, is, is not having those two elements. And finally, I think, you know, it's also important to be able to advocate <laughs> which is something that we also do for more funds from donors for institutional capacity. Because yeah. that was also another challenge we had for many years, even after we got, we started getting additional grants and, and, and having additional partnerships is that a lot of the funding we were getting was very much programmatic. And so we weren't getting any institutional support. So we had very strong program, but then, we didn't have an HR department. We didn't have, you know, uh, additional resources in our finance team. We didn't have, uh, you know, that support staff from, you know, communications and other elements that are critical to build a strong organization. And so we were able since then to also benefit from institutional support. And I think that's something that helps a lot. And, you know, for all of us, I think, as we're working with our donors and partners, it's really also to share that message that, 
you know, if you want strong organizations that are locally led to partner with, there is also, um, you know, support that potentially could be needed for them to be able to even better deliver on the partnership that you have with them. Um, so I think, you know, from my perspective, it was definitely, you know, real. <laughs> um, it was an issue that we faced. Um, and at the time, of course, you know, it was the word you don't want to hear. Um, but again, looking back um, and understanding now everything that is needed, not only to, you know, write your grant application, but then manage your program, um, you do need a strong organization. You need to have systems in place to control the funding you receive to, to ensure that the implementation is, is, is as it should be. And, and I think being able to do that is also what's going to allow African organizations to be able to gain the trust from the donors. Because I think ultimately that is also another issue that we do have is that, you know, and I say we as African organizations is that, you know, it's not all to get the funding, but then you have to deliver against the funding and you have to deliver against it at, you know, excellent standards and be able to do so consistently to be able to be accountable to the funds that you're receiving and to your partners um, and to be able to do that consistently. And I think sometimes there also is that issue around being able to put in place the structures that allow for that consistent standard of excellence and accountability that is needed and that is expected uh, from, from, from partners that are implementing in countries. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So I want to finish that point with a, um, with my own observation, and, and it goes from, from what you just said about the responsibility of the donors um, in making the donors understand, because there could be a chicken and egg situation where you say, well, there's no there's no anyone to receive the money. But on the other hand, how do you make that person receive the money if you don't give them the money? So how, how are they going to build their institutions if they don't have the money to build the institutions? But and, and, and I say this because the, the particular funders I was thinking about had been in Africa or have been working in Africa for the past maybe 15 years or more, have been giving out grants that go to American NGOs or European NGOs because there is no, they say they don't find a, a partner in Africa who's, who's good enough to absorb that type of money. But if you spend five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, and you you still don't have um, that institution, local institution that can absorb money. I don't know who in that case we should blame, whether that's the country that we should blame or the donor that we should blame. And this, um, at the risk of, of, um, of um, um, shocking uh, some people, it sounds pretty much like the colonial time when um, in some countries where independence was coming, where, where uh, the colonizers were saying, well, if we leave, there's there's no one to run the country if we if we leave the country now, so we should stay because we are working the banks and we are the, the teachers, we are the doctors, we are everything. If we leave the country, um, there's no one to, to run the country after us. So um, after, I don't know, 40 years of, of uh, colonization. Uh, so 
in this sense, I think there is a solution in my small world. Um, if you're a funder, a big funder, and you, you don't have a, a local partner, um, but you have a way of getting into that country, that should also be the way to build that particular institutional presence. So that uh, in, in the five years grant, that the first grant, I can accept that a country might not have that type of institution, but you shouldn't have 10 years where you don't have an institution that doesn't cannot absorb money. And so in other words, it's something that we can resolve really, really quickly. So, Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I think this is something that can be resolved if there is that true willingness um, from donors and from local partners to be able to establish the pathways to be able to strengthen the capacity of that local organization, to be able to ensure, especially with some donors, I mean, we know that the procedure, I mean, it's public money, right? So there is strong accountabilities for some of these donors. So you do need to ensure that, you know, the proper mechanisms are put in place. But certainly, I think the timeframes that you're talking about are definitely timeframes that can be worked against and certainly should have been. Um, but yeah. now I think they are starting to, you know, at least we're seeing, um, you know, some now very concrete evidence of wanting to, to change and to be able to identify those. And it's not only organizations, it's also people. Because um, we're currently working on an initiative called Bois Essentiel. And that, or that initiative is really around identifying community-based organizations that are led by women or women leaders that have the capacity of putting, of setting up an organization. So the idea there being that it's not only finding the organizations, but it can also be finding the leaders and being able to support that leader in their leadership journey to be able then to, you know, lead an organization that already exists or support and or create their own. But I think it's, as you said, is really being able to set up the whole system and environment to be able to enable um, that 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 uh, capacity to be built and those th that understanding. Because I think capacity is also one thing, but it's also understanding what is needed to be able to do so and, and being able to have that expertise. Um, and I think that goes back to your point that you were making to us, but it's also, I think there are other experts specific to certain donors as well, that we need to ensure that we're sharing that expertise around the requirements and, and, um, and processes of certain donors, because I will even admit that there's some donors I'm still baffled um, when I look at their procedures and reporting requirements. And so, you know, if I'm baffled, I can imagine someone who has not at all been, you know, in, in contact. And, you know, again, a lot of the strong local organizations that we have are also, you know, research institutes. Um, so they're not at all organizations that are, you know, in the space of, you know, going to find donor funding. So if you're really looking at those strong institutions and strong leaders, um, they have a lot of a certain type of capacity, but maybe 
there's other just more practical operational capacities that they just don't have because they haven't been in a situation of you know having that type of interaction so i think it's it really is an issue that is you know very broad and different types of you know actions need to be taken at different levels to be able to get to that situation of being able to to, to benefit from these donor fundings directly for African institutions. But I personally have no doubt that it's doable. Um, if, if, you know, if everyone in the ecosystem, you know, commits to it and establishes the, the ground rules. And maybe lastly, I'll say countries also have a big role to play in this, right? So if our leaders, <laughs> um, and I'll call on them, you know, if they play also their part um, and also, you know, set clear parameters in terms of the partnerships that they have with donor, with donor countries and donor organizations, then that will also allow what we're trying to do to work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Two, two points that I wanted to make and then we, we draw um, to a close and, and you just mentioned them. One is to one is to say that there are good partners, good donors who are really and and deliberately and um, truly looking for localization and, and uh, spending their funds in the local uh, institutions. So I, I wanted just to say kudos to them and, and to say that we do see that and we we recognize that we're grateful to that. Uh, and for that. Um, so it's not, again, as we started uh, the conversation, it's not like all the donors are equal and doing bad things. No, uh, there are donors who are who are pushing for a local agenda to, to be set and, 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 and we really are seeing that and we are grateful. But many more needs to, to join the force. The, the second point that you just mentioned about local um, governments, local communities, local institutions in Africa, we, we need to be able to show that we can um, and to, to push for excellence, to push for a clear agenda, a clear uh, set of goals that um, we, we want to achieve, and then let the partners join where they share um, interest. So the good thing that you mentioned in your organization is how your strategy is clear and do, who, whoever is the donor who shares the, the same um, the same vision, the same agenda can join and partner with you. So in this case, you're building a partnership rather than a donor receiver or a parent child relationship, which is really what a true partnership should be. So, well, thanks. Thank you for your points on, um, unless you have any, any other thing you want to mention on the, on the localization, I wanted to move to the last point. Okay. So, <clears throat> We've talked about, um, we, we can go on for a very long time, but uh, I know the time is uh, short, you're busy, and we should be doing other things. So I wanted to end this with a, a rather positive um, note, um, this conversation. So where, where do you find hope? Where do you find peace of mind? What makes you positive and smiling and keep going in life? So, I mean, I think uh, from a personal level, obviously my family, I think that really is what, you know, keeps me going every day. And my 
first and foremost, you know, motivation. Um, I think from a professional perspective, it's really to be able to make a difference um, in people's lives and to be able to do so, I think, you know, even more specifically for those marginalized groups and the groups that, you know, struggle the most to have a seat at the table. And for me, you know, speak of Africa, <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, being able to ensure that that voice is heard in, you know, meaningfully in decision-making spaces and that really um, we're able to leverage that to be able to have, you know, a meaningful difference and have healthy communities and people living productive lives. I mean, for us, you know, that's that really is the vision more broadly. And then again, you know, when we speak about certain groups, I mean, obviously, women and girls is one area that I'm particularly committed to being able to ensure that women and girls um, are in leadership positions, are able to make decisions, are able to be involved in social and political processes, that, you know, we're able to bring our voice to have more transparency in government, um, that we're able to get additional resources for services for women and girls, and, you know, to be able to also have improved um, personal safety, social protection for these women, um, because, you know, we see that despite all of the progress we talk about, you know, women will still not be able to achieve uh, pay or leadership equality with men for at least another 135 years, um, you know, according to the latest report. So that's a long time. So I think we really have to double down on that. And for me, that keeps me going. And the other um, group that I'm, you know, more... Um, how do you say inspired by is the youth. I think for me also youth and promoting youth innovation. Um, you know, we have this program, African um, Young Innovators for Health Award that promotes African solutions to different health issues. I've met the most wonderful, uh, promising young entrepreneurs um, that really uh, for me, are the future of, of Africa. And when I look at these young entrepreneurs and I see what they're able to do with the limited resources, the limited platforms, um, that really gives me hope for the future. And I, and, and I think if we're able to come together and support that, you know, innovation, that entrepreneurship, that, you know, those dreams that they have, um, by providing them, you know, with platforms, with resources, um, with mentorship, you know, with whatever they need, um, you know, I think we, we will have the Africa we want. So um, that will be maybe my last note. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, wonderful. Um, it's it's really great, Yasin. Thanks, thanks so much for your time. Um, I've enjoyed um, chatting with you as always. Um, I hope you will be able to join me again at some point to talk more. We can't finish everything we need to talk about, but um, I'm very, very grateful for your time. And um, thank you. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Silas, for having me and congratulations on this podcast. I think it's really going to be a great um, tool for people to better understand 
um, the, the global health agenda, you know, some of the challenges we face in the continent, as well as really being able to share different perspectives, um, as you said, from donors, implementers, um, you know, people from the research and development community and really bring together these different voices um, to share their perspective. And as you said, I think it is important to have that diversity in perspectives so that people can see both sides and, you know, everything is not negative, everything is not positive, but I think it is important to be able to highlight all of the different experiences. So it's been uh, an honor to be here with you today and I thank you for the invitation. Great, well, good luck. Um, I wish all the best to Speak Up Africa to you personally and until next time, I hope you stay well, uh, say hi to the boy and uh, encourage him to keep doing basketball, uh, tell him we're cheering. I will definitely, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the second and final part of my conversation with Yasin Jibo, founder and CEO of Speak Up Africa. Please consider following me on your favorite podcast app and leave me a comment. And if you find the content of this podcast interesting, spread the word. Until we chat again, love mercy, act justly and walk humbly.